Well, would you look at that? Just look at that. Take a look at that. Look. You see it? It's 2019. 2019. It's here. We made it. I'm still writing 2018 on my checks. Hey, there's a joke. But honestly, 2019 means one thing, and that is I graduated high school 20 years ago. Yes, I did. And I've survived to talk about it. 20 years ago does not feel that long. In a weird, weird way, it went by in the blink of an eye. Snap your fingers and now you're 37. And because reunions happen every 10 years, I don't really think my high school class had a 10-year reunion. Nor do I think it would have been very interesting. I know that there will be a 20-year reunion. And a 20-year reunion would be enticing if Facebook did not exist. But Facebook is a daily reunion. Not to say you're really catching up with these people, but you see what's going on. You got some kids? All right. You moved? Terrific. Married? Good for you. Got a job? Well done. There's really no reason to now go to a hotel lobby lounge or any venue or a restaurant and have a little small talk action with all of these people. And I'm not being cynical. I'm not. Don't you dare accuse me of that. I'm being totally honest. If Facebook did not exist, social media didn't exist. In 1999 was the last time I saw or heard from most people in this class. A reunion would be pretty enticing. It would be pretty cool to see a bunch of people you haven't seen in many years and go, wow, you look great. Oh boy, you're fat. Oh my God, you look great. Holy shit, you look old. Oh my God, you look so great. Oh boy, what happened to you? Oh my God, you look so great. Oh no, what a train wreck. I believe that's all reunions are. Immediately evaluating the looks of everybody. All right, we're all the same age. We're all relatively the same exact age. Now, how do we look? There'll be people in that room that look like they're in their 50s. There'll be people in that room that look like they didn't age one day since 1999. Now, think about the lore of a real reunion. Take a little town. A little town, let's say, hey, like the one my wife is from, Holly, Minnesota, population 17. This school would likely have a lot of people that moved away. I'm just guessing. A lot of people move away after high school, go to colleges in different parts of the country, find a mate, settle down in a random city throughout the USA, USA. And not even 20-year reunion, but let's go big. Let's go like 50-year reunion. And you're not on Facebook. Think about this scenario. The lore painting this picture. You haven't seen these people in 50 years. And you walk into that reunion. Now that is like a Twilight Zone episode for your mind. That will fuck with your brain a little bit. In a good way. You go, Marie? Marie Donaldson? Is that you? Oh my God. We used to spray paint our lockers together. Tom? Tom McDonaldson? Is that you? Oh my God. You were the class clown. And an alleged rapist. You know, things like that. Bernard? Bernard Mathewson. Get over here, you old tomcat. You know, you have conversations like that throughout the night. You used to steal money from the bank. And you never got caught. 
You old bastard, you look great. Walter? Walter Giddickson, get the fuck over here. Oh my God, you tub of shit. You haven't changed a bit. Reunion talk. You know, it's when you're so surprised to see people and you go, oh my God, let's catch up. I remember this and I remember that. We used to pass notes in physics. I used to cheat off of you in chemistry. We used to make eyes in math. We used to cheat on the mile run in PE together. You know, fun times catching up. All without Facebook, meaning we have not kept tabs on one another through photos of our families. Facebook has ruined the reunion. The reunion is supposed to be a shocker to see these people that you have not seen in so long. Facebook, you're friends with these people. Online friendships have completely ruined reunions. And what if you actually go? Chances are it'll be the small talk Olympics where you got to do the old catch up, talk about really tepid topics. How have you been? Where do you live? Do you have kids? And the weather. It's been cold lately. It's been raining lately. A few appetizers. Are these empanadas? I just love empanadas. Hit that bar hard. And then goodbye. Out of there by 830. Okay, I guess this ended up being very cynical. But this 20-year reunion, 2019, I'm the class of 99. Great class, by the way. Great class. And I guess I'll probably go because I'm easily influenced. And I know I have a bunch of friends that do want to attend these events. But deep down in my heart, in my soul, in my loins, I do not want to. No, thank you. 50th. I'll go to that. 50th sounds pretty good because I aspire to be off Facebook soon. Oh yeah, you heard me correctly. I have big aspirations. Get off Facebook. How many minutes of my life am I willing to lose by staring into the screen? By the way, have you seen these Apple commercials glorifying and romanticizing staring into screens? It's all the commercialists, just still photos of celebrities staring into their screens. And these are like really artsy photographs. But to me, it's not art. To me, it's ugly. You know, that this is how we now see people staring into their devices. It's so normal. It's so normal to see humans just plugged in, their eyes glazed over, whether it's a tablet, their phones, laptops, the glow of the screen. It's just captured people. I almost feel like we have goners now. This person's a goner. I see students on campus where I only see their forehead down in their hair because they're always just looking at their phone. I don't see their eyes anymore. They're gone. It's like they've been abducted by the Apple aliens. You've been abducted. I wish you the best, but I will not be seeing your eyes throughout the school year. I've only seen your forehead and your hair. You look down. And when you say hi to them, they get startled. Hey, good morning. What? Kid on their phone walking by me in the morning. Hey, good morning. Ah! It's like they're so into the Instagram photos they're looking at or the Snapchat videos or whatever they're looking at that they forgot. Oh, real humans are around me. I'm still in a world around me, even though the world I really care about and I'm addicted to is glowing from this device. So you've seen those Apple ads for one of the laptops or tablets. It's terrible because it's showing us that this is a great way to live. This is a wonderful, lovely, glorious life to live this way, staring into your screen with the glow in your face. 
I want less glow. I guess New Year's resolutions don't have to just be around New Year's. I'll, I'll just have resolutions throughout the year. I want less glow. So I got to get rid of Facebook. I know for a fact I got to get rid of Instagram because that is horse shit. Uh, I'll stay on Twitter, though. I like Twitter. And on the topic of resolutions, this isn't really a resolution, but I've made a decision. And that is I believe in an afterlife. I officially believe in an afterlife. That's a choice. So I have no proof. I have no evidence. I don't even really have logic behind it. But I realize if I can make a choice, why not? Why not just say, yeah, I believe in an afterlife. That works for me. Recently, I had a conversation with a student that will remain anonymous. Actually, all my students remain anonymous when I talk about the conversations. But this kid was telling me, yeah, I've been thinking about how scary it is that we all have to die. I was like, wow, this is heavy. And he was saying, I've never really thought about it. But it's hit me hard lately that we're all passing by. Our existence is temporary and the thought of death is eating me up. It's consuming me. It's too scary. And I thought, yeah, it is too scary. That's why I don't think the human mind is really wired to think about death all that often or else you'll live a very sad existence thinking about it. You know, probably I'd say once a month, I really think about it. And in that moment, when you really think about the end, it is scary. So I'm going to eliminate those thoughts by saying, yeah, there's an afterlife. And I've actually drawn it out. Here's what it looks like. It's very similar to this. It's very similar to what we're currently doing, but you're going to start weeding out the bad people. And who are the bad people, right? That sounds subjective? Not really. If you're a murderer, you're not coming into my afterlife. Or the afterlife. You know, it's not just my afterlife. We're going to weed them out. Who knows? I'm probably in the midst of a current afterlife right now. Maybe I'm living an afterlife, but my brain was erased, so I don't remember my previous life. It was still Josh Rosenberg. Still the same thing. You know, very similar path. But it's less and less of the bad people until we reach a place where there's no bad people. It's like a utopia. True nirvana and bliss. I'm in a world where you don't have to worry about the bad people. So no murderers, no rapists, no narcissists, no molesters, no drug dealers, no pedophiles. I guess I could just go through a long list of bad people, but you know these people that make our existence here a little worse. Maybe you've met some, maybe you've seen them on the news, maybe you're related to them. I don't know, but they don't exist in the afterlife. They're going to be weeded out, filtered out through this process. Goodbye. And you'll do it again. And then in the next life, this afterlife that I'm describing, because I now believe in it, in this new world, the sci-fi scenario, if people turn bad, you know, that can happen. They enter good. They prove themselves in the previous life. They get the afterlife gift. Hey, it's a gift. It's not immortality. This is different. You have to prove that you're not going to flip and transition into being bad. But if you do, you still get to live out that life. So it could be many, many afterlifes, many, many versions until you actually reach the level where there's no bad people. Does this make any sense? Of course it doesn't. Why would I even ask that? Of course this doesn't make sense. But the bottom line is, I am going to make a choice. Believe in an afterlife. Make death a little less scary. And yes, every moment is precious. Every day is a gift. And all the cliches that I wish I actually felt all the time. Isn't that weird how we could have the most profound insights and then immediately forget them? 
We could have like the heaviest, deepest, most productive conversation with somebody. And then immediately your mind starts thinking about chicken wings and things that don't matter. That's odd. My wife and I, the other day at breakfast, we were having a great conversation, really good. And then immediately I said, do you want a smoothie? And then the conversation just was all about the smoothie. And that's an insignificant thing. We were just talking about, you know, how our brains are wired, how our behavioral patterns are created. It was like one of those really good conversations. And then I was just like, you know what? We have all the ingredients. Why don't I make a smoothie? And we couldn't get back. It couldn't even capture the mindset of the previous conversation because now we had to talk about banana, ice. You could put spinach in there, strawberries, frozen fruit, not as good as fresh fruit, but still it'll work. And it didn't work because we didn't let it thaw. Juices didn't come out. Do you put a dollop of yogurt in there as well? A little almond milk, blend, purify, you pour it. It's pretty good, pretty good. And you move on with your day and you just kind of forget the profound moments. It's weird. I think our brains just forget the profound moments and we keep going forward and forward and forward like a beagle who needs a walk. A beagle who needs a walk just goes forward and forward and forward. Doesn't matter if he's tired. He needs to go forward. All right, I'm in the middle of something serious and maybe you can relate, but this is really annoying. I'm actually annoying myself and it's a mattress saga. A month ago, made the decision. Got to get a king. Not a California king. We're not that big, but we're still big enough. So we're going from queen to king. Queen to king. I want to know how many people have done this. You go and buy a mattress and you immediately hate it. You test it out in the showroom. You go, this will work. I like this. I like the price. You buy it. It gets to the house and you hate it. And then they tell you, you got to give it 30 days. You got to give it 90 days. You got to give it 224 days. Fuck you. Who's going to have 90 bad sleeps before they say, yeah, we're still returning it. So me, I'm too impatient. I'm too impulsive. Of course I know that. And after one night I said, nope, too hard, too firm, rock hard. It's like a concrete bench. I'm done. Even bought a pillow topper. Didn't help. Mattress cover. Didn't help. I need to sleep well. We all need to sleep well. You can't underestimate a good night's sleep, the power of a good night's sleep. So immediately, I call Macy's. I go, come get it. You sons of bitches, come get it. Come get it right now. Actually, that's not how I speak to customer service. I go, hi. Yeah, it's Josh. <laughs> Didn't work. Nope. No, the mattress does. It doesn't work. It's broken. It's broken. It broke me. It broke me emotionally. So I went to the showroom, and then I lay on a plush mattress. And I go, yep, this is good. I'm way too impulsive. I'm way too impatient. But I said, let's do this. You know, the nice guys in the showroom, they always give me their advice. They go, I'm pretty sure you should lay on that a little longer. I'm pretty sure you should keep it at your house more than a day or two. But I go, no, wrap it up. Let's do it. Deliver it. And they deliver the new one, the plush, the soft. It's like sleeping in pudding. I hate it. I immediately hate it. That's two mattresses. I called again. I go, you know what? It's lopsided. I feel like I'm falling. I feel like I'm falling in and off at the same time. And this is true. I'm not even making a joke. I feel like my knees are rising and my butt and my back are sinking. And I'm just going to drown in this mattress. Way too soft. This is Goldilocks. I get it. The three bears. I'm Goldie. So I said, enough. Enough with Macy's. We're going to Mancini's Sleep World. And then we're going to Mancini's Noodle House afterwards. But at Sleep World, we had this nice guy, Craig, and he goes, yeah, get on the Tempur-Pedic. And my wife knew the Tempur-Pedic, that's the Taj Mahal. That's the top of the top. It's for the varsity sleepers out there. 
It's also for the wealthy people because those mattresses are insanely pricey. But we rolled around on a bunch of Tempur-Pedics and realized, yeah, we got to do this. We got to do this. And we'll be selling our home to get the money for it, but it's worth it. We'll be selling our cars to afford our Tempur-Pedic mattress, but all we need is the mattress. We don't need a home. We don't need cars anymore. We don't need jobs. We just need the Tempur-Pedic mattress. And I know I have my priorities straight because Craig at Mancini Sleep World, he said it's for side sleepers, back sleepers, and stomach sleepers. And he was going to throw in a pillow. Craig, you're going to throw in a pillow? And this mattress is only 12562 And I could finance that for the rest of my life until I'm in my 70s? You know what? You got a deal. How about a handshake deal? No, you need my signature? Terrific. So I feel like a lot of people have done this. You go for the deal. You should never buy a mattress because it's cheap. Especially if you're a high-maintenance motherfucker like me. High-maintenance Josh, I get home every time with a new item. And if I don't like it immediately, I have no patience. My wife is the exact opposite. The exact opposite. She could sleep on any bed. She can go to a restaurant that's noisy and still enjoy her experience. I go to a restaurant. I hear every conversation at every table. And if it's annoying, I can't focus on my dinner situation. If the kitchen's too loud, if the lighting's off, I wish I was different. I wish I was wired differently, but I'm a little sensitive to all of these things going on. My wife, she doesn't notice. She doesn't mind. None of this stuff throws her off. I admire that. Good Lord. And she's learning to live with somebody like me. Somebody like me. Can anybody find me? Somebody look. I need to see Bohemian Rhapsody. Heard it was great. Heard it was so good. I feel like the timing is really cool as well. That Queen is now popular again. Queen's been the greatest band ever since the 70s, since they popped. Throughout the 80s, 90s, you know, you listen to all the hits. Not just the greatest hits, but all the hits. You listen to Freddie's voice and you go, yeah, it's the greatest voice ever. It's like undisputable. I don't care whose voice you like, from Frank Sinatra to Adele, doesn't matter. Whitney Houston was great too. There's never been a Freddie since Freddie Mercury. Never been another. Gotta see that movie. Where was I? Oh yeah, The Mattress Saga. Some of you are listening and you go, God, you're a difficult soul. Whereas others are saying, yeah, I've been there. I'm on my fourth mattress in the last four months because you never know. The showroom, it's full of people who have been rolling on it for two years the showroom experience, you don't know what you're getting. Probably getting somebody's lice. Yeah, that's a lice alert. Quick question for you. You ready? Can Netflix movies be nominated for Academy Awards? I wrote three bullet points, and that's one of them. So I'm just going to read it out loud. Can Netflix movies be nominated for Academy Awards? I actually don't know. I know I could have Googled it, but I'm just going to ask it out loud because it leads me to this thought. The original programming with a lot of these movies is too good not to be a part of the Academy Awards. If the Academy Awards does not include Netflix movies, then they're losing a large percentage of the best movies out there. Therefore, the Academy Awards, which has been the most prestigious award show, would not be a valid way of measuring the best films. Big-time actors, big-time producers, big-time budgets, big-time writers all seem to have migrated to Netflix. Not to say theater movies are not great, or whatever the opposite of Netflix movies are, theater movies, but I get why Netflix is so popular. I get it. So many people are not going to the theater anymore. Statistically, 
People like their flat screen TVs. People like to press pause. People like to watch things when they want to watch things. Like Bohemian Rhapsody, I didn't see it. You know, it's probably out of the theaters by now. I wish I did. But if it went straight to Netflix, I would have seen it three times by now. You got to work on people's schedules. That's why podcasts are amazing. Now, radio is wonderful. The medium of radio, spoken word, audio entertainment, it's great. But the idea that I have to be in my car at 3 p.m. to listen to this host who I enjoy, his show, and if I'm not in my car at that time, then I missed it? Forget that. People listen to podcasts when they can listen. People now only want to do things according to their own schedules. The jukebox world we live in. That's not a bad thing either. To accommodate our schedules as we move forward. Sure, I guess I could race to the movie theater and see a movie when it's available at a theater. And sure, I realize I could still listen to good radio shows out there if I adjust my schedule to find when the shows are on and make sure I'm in my car or near a radio. But I love the on-demand stuff. The on-demand stuff, that's the best. And that's where we're going as a society. Netflix is soon just going to take over. It's like I said in the last podcast or the one before, Amazon is just going to take over all the malls because Amazon makes it so accommodating, so accessible. It's what we want. We want to feel like we're not wasting time. We want to feel like everything is adjusting to our lives. Make it comfortable to me. It's like a Tempur-Pedic mattress. Conform to me. Adjust to me, my body. Find my pressure points. Find my strong areas and my doughy areas and make me feel comfortable. Hug me, bed. Hug me. All right, follow me with this thought. This is really the big thought. Everything else was a precursor to this thought. Everything else, that was a warm-up. That was just an intro. Here we go, intro. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, intro. But this... Here's the main thought. Here's the main event. History. I'm a world history teacher. I'm a history teacher. I'm a social studies guy. It's my life. It's my living. It's my livelihood. Now, we have a finite amount of days with these students. I don't know. What is it? 190 days with students. And then you got to factor in rally days and minimum days and days that they're sick or maybe days that I'm sick. You know, you lose some days along the way. Maybe there was a bomb threat. Maybe there was an earthquake. Maybe wildfires. You know, many reasons, floods, reasons why we might lose a day here, lose a day there. Now, every subject is different. But history tries to fit in things and also have an end point. Like in world history, what do I tell the students? Yeah, we're going to get through the Cold War and into the 90s. Because that's where our textbook goes. Not to say I allow the textbook to dictate how I teach. But interestingly, if you do look at a lot of the textbooks in American high schools, they're not going up through Obama and into Trump. Things that these students probably are really into learning about. Even though it's current and it feels recent, you're going to have to keep pushing history books this way, this way, into the here and the now and the future. And if you start including more things as they unfold, anything from the tech revolution to 9-11 to the war on terror and all these things in my lifetime, if you're going to start teaching those as part of the curriculum, what do you have to eliminate? Do you have to go back and say, yeah, maybe we'll stop teaching about the Enlightenment. Yeah, maybe we don't have to teach the Industrial Revolution. What are we going to start eliminating if we only have a certain amount of days with the students? A history class can't continue to teach the same things as time goes on and on and on and on and on. Think about my grandpa. When my grandpa was in high school, 
taking U.S. history, there was no Vietnam unit, obviously didn't exist yet. You know, they weren't talking about the Berlin Wall crumbling. Didn't exist yet. Didn't happen yet. So they probably went back further. They still had to fill a school year with history topics and lessons and standards and content. But then you think about my dad, the history class he took. Then you're going to include more of the Cold War into Vietnam. Then you think about the history class I took back in the 90s. The many topics that were covered were different than what the previous generation covered. But now we're moving forward. We can't keep teaching history the same way. We're going to actually have to start eliminating significant things in 300 years. That's a big statement. That's a big intro to any statement. In 300 years. But really, in 300 years, there's going to be so much that unfolds. Where do they start? Are they still going to be teaching World War I, World War II? Or is some of that eventually just going to fall by the wayside? It's weird to think about. you got to start somewhere if you know you have to end somewhere and you only get these students for a certain amount of days. But when you say goodbye to those students in a history class and you go to summer break, you go, where did we even bring them to? 1992? These kids were born in 2002. There's a lot within those 20 years where the class ends and they're born that they go, but then what happened? But then what? But then what? You got to study it deeply. You got to include it in the curriculum, the standards. So we are progressively, as we move forward, going to lose certain aspects of history that have been taught. Has to happen. You can't say, no, just add more days. No, just add more minutes. You're going to run out of minutes. You're going to run out of days. So in a weird way, you're going to run out of certain history topics that we believe should be taught. We teach the Holocaust. We teach Gandhi and Mao and the rise of dictators. And we teach the Russian Revolution. And we teach the Cuban Missile Crisis. And we teach this stuff. But in 200 years, you got to include so much, you're not going to be teaching this. No way. Guarantee. You're not going to be teaching it. Maybe you'll try to squeeze it into a day. And oh yeah, there was this guy named Hitler in Germany. And you know what? By tomorrow, we got to fast forward. Because we got to really mention what happened in the year 2052. Oh, the big war of 2052 between Canada and Honduras. It was ugly. Who knows what's going to happen? I'm just speculating. But right now, my curriculum, it's weird that it has a start point and an end point. There's no end point. There is no end point. I don't know if other subjects are that way. Maybe. I mean, subjects can evolve, but none are moving daily. You know, if something significant happens in the world tomorrow which it will, by the way, something significant in the world that could be teachable happens every single day. Who's choosing what we teach? World conflict? What's shaping the world? It's tough. It's very tough to try to squeeze something that happened over a hundred years into a little lesson, do a little unit. How many of these teenage brains could even comprehend this? I actually love the way it's currently taught. I like the current structure, but I'm excited to see what happens to education within the next 25, 50 years. I'm excited because it has to change. It's going to be so insanely different from the tech to just the way we've advanced to how these human brains are now wired so differently. I don't know if I captured that. Just another thought. There you go. That'd be a good podcast name. Just another thought. Clever podcast names. In Your Face with Josh Rosenberg. Thinking Out Loud. With the rose. Got to make it more edgy radio guy.
I got to get a weather person in here, a news update person. We really got to make this formulaic radio. Got to go back, back to the roots, the early days. I do feel like the one problem, though, just mentioning radio before I get out of here. The one problem is the know-it-all audience. I feel like nowadays people don't listen to a host or maybe they don't even listen to a podcast and say, teach me, entertain me. Instead, a lot of people are just skeptical and say, let me catch you where I disagree. Let me get angry with you and then call in or tweet at you. I think there's still a good audience for spoken word entertainment. I think there's still a good audience, but there's more and more of the know-it-all generation of what the hell do they know? Let me listen to this political host and now I disagree. Let me listen to this podcast and now I disagree. But truly, some people actually enjoy being annoyed by their entertainment. I know this for a fact. Some people are annoyed with Howard Stern, could not change the station. Rush Limbaugh, think about some of the most successful radio hosts, Jim Rome. So many people hate Jim Rome, but his ratings at one point were astronomical because people couldn't change the station. You got to be saying something. You got to have a personality where even if it rubs you the wrong way, listeners, even listeners who are the know-it-all audience that go, I know more than you, they're still going to keep tuning in. But you see Twitter nowadays, follow somebody that you respect in media. Do this. Follow somebody that you respect in media and look at one of their tweets and then read the 50 comments below. Rarely is it, hey, I agree. Thanks for sharing your insight. We appreciate it. It's usually, hey, go fuck yourself. You're wrong. Incorrect. People just want to debate. The message board know-it-alls. Oh, these people. These people. You people. All right, I'm going to go catch the end of the college football unpaid athletes championship. And I wish you all a happy, happy new year. May 2019 be the year where all of your dreams, all of your wildest dreams in this lifetime, because we're all getting afterlifes with less bad people, but in this lifetime, may all of your dreams in 2019 come true. Episode 44, goodbye. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon.